Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. Another wonderful episode in store for you today as we'll be talking with someone who bought a D2C brand with the intention of significantly growing it instead of starting one from scratch. Today's guest is Ramon Van Meer, the owner of Alpha Paw. They started out as a company selling ramps for pets to allow them to climb onto the sofa or a bed, but have now expanded their range to include food, supplements and other products that are really useful for anyone who owns a pet. Today we'll be talking about Ramon's background, how he came to identify and purchase Alpha Paw, and how he's turned it into a multi-million dollar business in such a short space of time. Let's get Ramon on now. Hi Ramon, thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just quickly introducing yourself, uh, a little bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, thank you so much. So my name is Ramon van Meer, original from, I grew up in Holland, the Netherlands, moved to the States 12, 13 years ago to work on my, you know, quote unquote, American dream, achieving my American dream. Started and failed many businesses, but I have a couple successes as well. One was a big exit in selling a soap opera blog, a blog about soap operas. And currently after I sold that, I bought a small pet e-commerce business that I'm working on now to scale and hopefully sell this or next year. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, I guess one thing I'm interested in is straight away then is why did you choose to buy a company and uh, and not start, start something from scratch? Yeah. The buy versus build debate is always a very interesting one. I, you know, I've the soap opera blog that I sold for $9 million, I started it from scratch because I had no other option. I had no money even to buy, if I even if I wanted to. And But I personally prefer if you have a chance or if you have the ability to buy uh, versus build for a couple of reasons. It's speed. You know, I, I'm going to give you an example of the pet business that I've bought. It's an e-commerce business called Alpha Paw. When I bought it, it was selling dog ramps. And ramps are like these pieces of furniture that people use for the small dogs to get beds and sofas. And uh, I was doing $700,000 in revenue and I was able to buy it for $325,000. It came along with a huge social media following, half a million Instagram followers, 2 million Facebook fans, an email list, customer list, patents, trademarks, SEO traffic, a lot of things. Like if I would have to build that from scratch, it would have taken me 12 months to even, you know, get started or to get like to the same level. So when you buy, A, you have history, B, you can from day one already generate revenue and profit. And then you can just focus on where you're good at on optimizing the business. I often make the same uh, comparison with real estate. There's nothing wrong with buying a lot and building an apartment building from scratch. Tons of companies and people do it very successfully. But as you can imagine, it'll take, you know, you buy the lot and you have to build it. It takes time. So before that really generates any cash flow, it just takes time. My specialty is more I'm trying to find for an existing apartment building Ideal, very like in a very bad shape, but in a good neighborhood where mm-hmm. I know, like, oh, if I just, if I buy this building, I just put a new fresh paint, a new kitchen, and new flooring, I can increase the rent because that's my specialty. Uh, so that's basically uh, how I see buy versus build. And both could work. I personally like buying because of the speed of it. Yeah, uh, makes sense. So if you're happy to talk about this sort of thing, what was that opportunity you saw with Alpha Paw? What was that, I guess, the, the renovations that 
you, yeah. you saw as an opportunity to turn this into something that would make a lot of money. Yeah. So if I look at businesses to potentially buy or just learn from, but it, especially if I'm looking for seriously to, to buy it, I want to see at least three to five things that I could improve or their potential improvement. Because I don't buy a business that's run by an internet marketer that is already optimized it to, you know, the top, because then, you know, I want to be able to increase. So in the, this case with Alpha Palm, there were the three major things. It was one, I was not doing any paid acquisition. So no paid, no Facebook ads, no Instagram ads, no YouTube ads, nothing. All that ever, ever. They've never yes. done paid advertising and they've grown to uh, hundreds of thousands of followers on, yes. I guess, a reasonably sized email list, I think you said, and uh, and obviously $700,000 in, in revenue. So all organic. Not, not, yes. Yeah. It was all organic and no any paid acquisition. So I thought, okay, that's one angle where we can scale. Secondly, they had an email list of customers, but they never emailed. They didn't even have a MailChimp or Klaviyo or whatever email provider in place. They were on the assumption that it's not allowed to email. And so they never send out an email to their even their existing customers or abandoned card customers, like no nothing, right? So no email marketing. And a third was their platform like you have Shopify, you have WooCommerce, but there's also, they were, they've built a website on Magento and uh, Magento, it was just a very old looking website. It was basically, it felt like a Craigslist. And so the website was not really optimized. The copy, the images, it was just like, okay. So these were the three things. And that's all where I focus on in the first, you know, 90 days was like paid acquisition, email marketing and conversion rate optimization. Yeah, of course. So you could see it was like you could see that there was a business. There's a good yeah. opportunity there, but I suppose maybe this is a harsh way of putting it, it. It wasn't being run very well. They were leaving a lot of money on the table, just not taking advantage of these just massive opportunities. And yeah, I suppose they were, they were more product people. So they, this was one yeah. of these examples where this company was started out of a passion or out of a problem. The cur- the previous owners had a problem with their small dog not being able going on the sofas. Then they came up with a really good product and they were really good product people, but then we're not internet marketers. They didn't know too much about, you know, paid ads or email marketing or conversion rate optimization and things like yeah. that. I, mean, I suppose with the email side, potentially the issue is you know, if they're not marketing people, they don't really know about abandoned carts, fair enough. But for the existing customers, if you've already bought a ramp, is there a need to buy another ramp? That's a very good question. If the answer to that is no, then why email them? Well, yes. So the the problem with the RAM business, it's typically a one-time type product, right? It's not a consumable that a person needs a ramp every day, every week, every month. But what you could do, because they also sold other type of products, not just ramps, but it was 90% of the revenue came from ramps. 10 to 20 came from like small, you know, type, you know, toys or, you know, jewelry or like other type things. But you could still do, you know, if you buy a ramp for the bed or for the sofa, then you can try to upsell one for for the bedroom. Some people have, you know, a lot of people here have, have two living rooms. So, you know, you could, but the repeat purchase rate is 
fairly low because it's, you know, it's a ramp. But if what I right away or what we right away did is like, okay, what can we try to sell that goes along with a ramp? So we started trying to sell, you know, other products that might go well with uh, a ramp, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so funny enough, I've been thinking about this recently because I'm looking at changing my car. And one of the things I have in mind is I want a bigger boot for the dog. I've got a golden retriever, so he's, he's quite big. Okay. But also, I've, no, I've already noticed over the last few years, he's gone from quite easily jumping into the back of the car to doing quite a, not exactly laboured, but, you know, he gets his front paws up yeah. and then he kind of lifts himself up into it. So yeah. I'm already now thinking, well, in, in another year or two, is that going to be a problem for him? If I buy a bigger car, am I still going to have that same problem? Right? So yeah. actually, would a ramp be, you know, be a, a viable option for him? So that would be, you know, obviously another use case for you guys to, to market. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, we have yeah, well, that's a good point. Like with car ramps too, right? So somebody yeah. can buy a ramp for their indoors, but then also still need one for, for the car. Because yeah, my dog, I have a pit bull, a big one, overweight one. So he doesn't really use the ramp inside, but he he sometimes uses the car ramp. Yeah. Cool. So what would have been more recent? Uh, sorry, how long have you had the business? I bought it in December 2018. So basically Okay. Early like 2019 yeah. was the first full year. Okay, cool. So uh, I suppose more recently, after you you picked up on those uh, early opportunities, what what do you think have been the biggest contributors to growth? Maybe in this last year. Yeah, it was it's definitely paid acquisition. So paid acquisition was really the main driver of going from seven hundred thousand, you know, to eighteen million dollars because everything else. Ripples down, if that makes sense. Meaning, the more web uh, traffic we got to a website, the more emails we got in our abandoned cart uh, list or segment. The more traffic we get to a website, the more people signed up for a newsletter, and we can try to convert or our text message list. So, by far, Facebook is still, you know, Facebook ads is still our number one driver. Unfortunately, like similar like anybody else in that I know in the e-commerce. We all hate Facebook. It's a hate-love relationship because, unfortunately, it's still the best tool or the best platform to drive targeted paid acquisition. But it's getting harder and harder. We had an iOS update last year from Apple where it's getting harder to target the CPMs, at least in my case. The cost to advertise on Facebook only is going up, never goes down. So we all, at least including like myself, is like, okay, what is the next Facebook or where can we, you know, spend our advertising dollars even more efficiently than Facebook? But at the end, it still comes down to paint. Yeah. Uh, Have you found any particular um, strategies or campaigns have been working on Facebook? Oh, on Facebook? It really changed like... When I started, you know, I was really like people maybe think I was such a guru, but I was not. I would just create it. I just got some user generated content of people, of customers using the ramp with some cute puppies and cute doggies, just added it together and put a buy now button. And that was enough to, you know, generate uh, skill the ads or skill the company profitable. Now, unfortunately, like, 
the return on ad spend that I had in 2019, I would literally die for it now. Like it's like, it, it's now it's a fraction of that. It just gets harder and harder. Where in the beginning, we had more success of targeting it really. Like what we used to do was we create an ad a video ad with only Daxons in the video, then call it the Daxon ramp and say, oh, this is the best ramp for your Daxon. Then drove traffic to a landing page, um, you know, a dynamic landing page that would show best Daxon ramp with only pictures of Daxons using the ramp. And then we did that with all breeds or the biggest type of breeds that has the biggest audience. That later started stopped working and then actually... Facebook's, you know, algorithm got, got smarter and it actually started like, oh, just open up the whole audience and let Facebook just decide that started working much better versus targeting at per breed, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's what I've been told recently. I mean, I, I don't do much with paid acquisition. I'm, I'm looking at it for my business. Okay. But yeah, I, I've been told you can be quite broad now. You know, give yes. give Facebook a lot of room to work with, and Facebook will will find you the right people. Um, yeah, it comes you know, down to creatives. Basically, it's like yeah, less spending time on tweaking, you know, audiences, etc. Is more. It's my like just more creatives. Like, how can you create better? Yeah, do, you can do a bit with the copy and the imagery to, I guess, like pre-filter the yeah. people. So the you know trying to make sure that the only people who do engage with your adverts are the people you want to target, but letting Facebook then uh, put it in front of more people more broadly. And then those people will actually tell Facebook uh, what that audience really looks like. Yeah. What, what about other channels then? So you, I think you mentioned um, trying to broaden out a bit. Yeah. So we have, we've tried Snapchat, didn't work for us. We tried Pinterest, worked on a very small scale, like very small so it's not even worth our time to explore. Influencers, it's really ups and downs. Influencers is an interesting channel because I know some friends of mine in the e-commerce space that have success with it and others totally, you know, not. So it's really, and I have the same where sometimes it works and sometimes not. It's, it feels for us, at least, it's not a scalable, predictable channel. I suppose... You know, and probably for a similar reason why they ended up with half a million followers on Instagram. It's a very Instagrammable product and, and for UGC, but you're going to get so many more people engaging with that content just because it's a cute dog, right? Rather than actually having an interest. So I imagine that kind of impacts on that influencer as well. They, they might get loads of engagement on the posts. Yeah. But then it doesn't really translate to sales because... It's not buyer just want to engage with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not buyer intent traffic. Plus, in the case of a ramp, it's not an impulse buy. A, it's, ex it's pretty expensive. B, it's also, if you have a bigger dock, you don't need it, basically. So it's almost like my audience is a segment of a segment. It's not just all pet owners, it's only a portion of pet owners that have small dogs or dogs that have disabilities or are extremely overweight. Right. So if you don't have those, the dog that fit that criteria, you're not a potential, you know, you're not going to buy a ramp. Yeah. So I think influencers work much better if you have a product that any potentially anybody could use, right? Like any 
no gender, uh, no age, you know, like the broader the product is, the, the better, basically. So for influencers. And we're working on TikTok. It's the same as inf influencers. Some days are great, other days not. So we're still trying to fine tune it and see, is this a scalable platform? But yeah, we are spending, and of course, Google, actually Google AdWords is, so it's Facebook first, Google AdWords second, but we're a little bit limited with search volume, right? Like we can only, yeah. if somebody, yeah, not, there's not 10 million people searching dark ramps uh, a month, unfortunately. Yeah, um, you've. You, you potentially even would want to be targeting people who are searching for, you know, sofas for dogs, or I, I don't know, I don't know off the top of my head, but looking, trying to identify what people are searching for, even though it might be something that seems quite different, but actually might make them say, well, actually, I don't need this because I can get this ramp instead, and that solves that problem. Yeah. So think and of like okay, injuries, dog injuries in the, in the house or whatever, because. A ramp prevents also injuries, right? Like if your dog jumps off of sofa, it can break their ankle, can break their, you know, can get these type of things, you know. So we we target those type of keywords, but it's still it's not as as as, as scalable again as Facebook because yeah. you're limited to search volume. But it's still our second largest channel, and then at the moment it's influencers third, and then TikTok fourth. Those are basically our paid channels. Yeah. And then we do a lot of SEO like articles and, you know, we have a blog that attracts a lot of traffic, but it's really, uh, it's not buyer intense traffic. So mm. it, it's, I think it's good long-term to do it. And it, it does build an, an, an email list basically, but it's not a huge revenue driver for us at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of brand exposure and isn't it builds, same with TikTok and, and influencers, really. They're going to be getting the brand out there, putting it in front of a lot of people. The, the, yes. buying, the buying intent is not there, especially for something that's not impulse purchase, but it might mean that later on they do search for it or later on they're hit by the Facebook advert and that does, and that pulls them in to sign up for the newsletter and then the newsletter converts them or something. So, you know, you might find that the TikTok's having a positive income on your uh, kind of overall costs of acquisition. Yeah. But it, it itself is not driving sales directly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you tried any kind of affiliate marketing? Yeah, actually affiliate. Yeah, we do affiliate marketing. We do share, sell and CJ and work with a, a bunch of blogs. So what we've done, it's basically if you... Whatever product you have, you just search that product and reviews, and then you get a bunch of these review websites out there, blogs, like, oh, the top 10 headphones for, you know, students or the top 10 monitors or whatever you sell. And then you basically reach out to all these blogs and say, hey, I have this product. What can I do to get included in the list? And 99% of the time, you have to just pay to get on a list and yeah. give them an affiliate. But at least if somebody search whatever your product is, your product is in uh, a lot of these lists that drives traffic. But again, I think all these smaller channels is maybe 20% combined of our total revenue. Yeah. But it, it does help, right? Like it helps get our average cost of acquisition down.
because Facebook cost of acquisitions keep going up. Having your affiliate link on blogs, it's just a one, often a one-time fee. And then it's just basically free traffic. So that's, it's a good way, but unfortunately not scalable, but we are also working on that. Yeah. Have you, have there been any other challenges that have come up over the last year? Obviously you talked about iOS um, updates and things. Oh man. Uh, Your podcast is going to be six hours long. It, It was a very, it was a very tough year. Like, I think if you listen to podcasts and Twitter and like look and read on Twitter, it's like you read and listen to a lot of the success stories, not so much the struggles. Last year was very rough for us because the there was a combination of, because of COVID, there was a supply chain or still actually is. Hopefully we're past the roughest time, but last year was really rough. To give you a quick example Maybe you've read it or, you know, some of your listeners, the container ships that bring products from Asia to the United States were stuck at the port in L.A., right? So the pricing of a container to get your product from China or Vietnam or wherever to the U.S. skyrocketed. Before COVID, I used to pay $2,500 for a 40-foot container. At the height of the container shortage, we got quoted up to $30,000 for the same container doing the same route, basically. And that is a reasonable increase if you have a very small product and half a million items fits in one container. But in my case, a ramp is huge. Only 1,700 ramps fit in a container. So you can already calculate the increase per ramp is huge, right? Like we, so long story short, our landed costs, meaning all the costs involved to get a product into our warehouse, doubled, actually more than doubled, that will affect the margin. So now suddenly, instead of being able to spend, this is just an, Example, instead of being able to spend $20 on Facebook to acquire a customer, now we only can spend $10 to acquire a customer to be profitable. Then Mr. Steve or like Apple, you know, they decided to do the iOS update. What resulted for us and most of my friends too, but not everybody, but for most people resulted in higher CPMs, meaning it costs you more to display your ads to your audience. So that also, you know, so basically we got screwed every single step from <laughs> yeah. tried trucking fee to get from the port to the warehouse doubled more, went from $1,600 to $3,600. You know, FedEx and UPS prices went up. They had, they called us COVID surcharges that they're still actually applying to a lot of the shipments now. So it's basically across the board, our margins just got crushed. So we went from being able to profitably scale to being unprofitable last year. Yeah, but you, I think you said, you think that's kind of coming to an end now? Are you seeing seeing things yeah. get a bit better? Well, container pricing went down. It's still much higher than it used to be pre-COVID, 
but it's definitely, it's a lot less than the heyday from last year. FedEx, UPS, I think they are, you know, everything is getting a little bit better. Correct. Not Facebook for us though. Like Facebook performance is still, you know, a struggle for us, but the, the landed cost is getting a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And what about the kind of actual customer experience? That you guys provide how do you go about ensuring that you've got happy customers yeah that's a good question this is, uh, i've never got that question asked so we well we actually had to this year we had to make some changes to because of our margins it's easier to assure happy customer service experience if you have the margins uh, for it meaning like for example zappos uh, do you know zappos yeah yeah so zappos you know, fortunately, the founder passed away one or two years ago, but he's very famous, Tony Shi, of like a customer happiness. Or, you know, he wrote a couple of books. I highly recommend reading them. But Zappos was one of the first companies that offered free 365 days returns, right? So you could buy shoes and whatever clothes and return them 10 months later. And there was no questions asked. They will pay for return shipping. And they have a huge phone customer support, phone support where, you know, you can even call and ask other questions. Um, Yeah. Like where I live in Austin, what's the best pizza place? And then Zappos customer service is obligated to help you. Things like, silly things like that, but what really built a brand. Last year... Yeah. Sorry, just, just on the free returns, do you know, because obviously with shoes, so I, I actually work with a shoe retailer here in the UK, and their policy is as long as the shoes are in you know, unused condition, you know, if they're unused, you just decide, I mean, obviously you can try them on, but yeah. what they don't want is someone actually using them for a month and then sending them back. So yeah. I imagine that was probably the same with their returns policy. You could eat, That's a good question. You get a year um, to return it, but as long as it's in brand new condition when it comes back i would not be surprised after this call i'm gonna actually look it up i forgot but they're also like they're they were a vc funded company and then amazon bought them right like so they they can afford losing yeah. you know throwing away you know there the might be a handful of people who yeah. abuse it yeah yeah and they calculated in the, but yeah i have no idea but so it's I mean, the, Sorry, the, the, the point I was, I was wanted to make on that was I tested this out with a client of mine. We doubled their returns policy. So initially they had the, I think the legal minimum, which is 14 days here. And we looked at that and said, for your product, that's not going to work. It needs to be a longer period because people do need to try it out. So we upped it to 30 days, which is kind of industry standard, I suppose, yep. like income standard. And for the next few months, we actually saw a decrease in returns. Because mm. they fixed some other issues, which were causing returns, but this 30-day policy didn't damage uh, returns at all. We increased it to 100 days. Uh, sorry, and actually increased conversion rate. We increased it to 100 days with, it might have been a tiny increase in conversion rate on that. But again, there was no negative impact in returns rate. Because generally speaking, people don't want to return the products. They don't, yeah. they want, to waste, they don't want to waste their time and Obviously, it's not wasting money because they get it back, but they don't want that money leaving their account yeah. on something that they're not convinced by. So it's always seen as a, a backup, really. Yes. That's yeah, and it's funny. I 
So we started with 30 days. Then I expanded it to, especially like last year, and tried the 365 day and then tested out three months. But we're actually back to one month. Okay. Because we did not see, like you said, there were two, two things. We A, we didn't really see an increase in conversion between one month and a year. Not significant enough. And we also saw that after months, like there's very little returns anyways. So it just, I think it's easier. And, but yes, I know some companies that do free one year, you know, no questions asked returns, but they also have, you know, they're VC backed and they have, you know, a lot more money in the bank. I mean, I think people make a decision very quickly, right? I imagine in the case of the ramp, it's, you know, getting it, trying it out. Does the dog like it? Will the dog use it? And B, how much space does it take up? How do I do? Am I thinking actually this is taking up too much space and dog doesn't seem too fussed, so I want to get rid of it? You're going to make that decision within a few days. Yeah. So I bought a standing desk from Amazon, just it worked out within about 24 hours. It wasn't going to work for me, but not because it's standing desk. I actually like the standing desk. I need to get a, a proper one, but just yeah. because of my desk setup didn't allow the standing desk to fully drop down which yeah. meant that actually for a little while I had a permanent standing desk. But I yeah, I made that decision. I, I think I filled in the returns thing for, for Amazon within about 24 hours, but they've given me a month to actually return it. Yeah. But it's it, it is now packed up and I'm ready to go. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here using it for 30 days and return it at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm like that too. So for us, if we, you know, trying to decrease returns is you know is an easy money maker basically because it's you know it costs money for us and so we just found it that it's not so much in the time period so much it's more like what can we do to educate and help because like you said is for us for ram it's the number one return reason is the pet is not using it well the pet is not using it it's because you know the pet will use anything if you train it right. Like, right. Like you can train yeah. any dog, any trick, especially just walking on a ramp. So what we created was videos of like how to train your dog to use the ramp. We tried to help the customers on customer service with tips of like how to train the dog, etc. So, and then secondly, what you brought up a really good point is sometimes people think like, yeah, any sales good. But it's actually no, you want to only sell your product to the people that are also really going to use it because again, returns is very expensive, especially for us. Yeah. It's a big product that costs a lot to ship to the customer, it costs a lot to ship back, it costs a lot to you know rebox it and clean it up, and all that stuff is very expensive. So what we try to do is like making sure like show for example the different sizes and how does it look you know with different couches so people don't buy it and say oh this is actually too big for my living room mm-hmm. um, yeah so yeah do, do as much as you can beforehand to to convince someone it is the right product for them yes the right size the right make model whatever yeah and also once they've got it what are the next steps you need to take to get value out of this right naturally I, I like the fact that you mentioned, you know, you've got to train the dog to do it. We actually got our dog at an orthopedic bed because he, he has a little bit of an elbow problem. Seems to be in the yeah. winter. And initially I could see he was hesitant about it, right? He would put his paw onto it and yeah, because yeah. it was quite padded and quite soft, 
you could see he was a bit just uncertain about it. And I basically pushed him onto it, you know, it forced him onto the bed and he, he had to sit down on it. And now he loves it. And he spends yeah. a huge amount of time on that bed. Uh, he's probably on it right now. Yeah. Um, absolutely loves it. And all it required was pretty much a push. pushing him onto the bed. You're going to yeah. try this bed. Like we spent money on this, get on it. Yeah. Uh, and now he loves exactly. it. So I imagine it's a similar thing, right? They're going to look at this ramp and be like, what's this? I don't, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. And all you've got to do is, you know, kind of grab it by the collar. Yeah. Gently put it up the ramp, show it how to use it. And uh, you're probably fine. Exactly. So that is for us, that was thinking about, you know, putting yourself in the customer's shoes and what type of issues that could arise and then trying to, okay, what can we do to help the customer get better use of the product that was resulted in far bigger decrease in return rates than just, you know, going from one to two months. Yeah. So yeah, not a few episodes back, I had uh, Dan Shun from AirUp and they're a scent-based drink, drink experience. I'm not sure. Still can't remember how to describe it. Basically, you know, do you know cordial, right? You get cordial, you know, flavoring uh, like syrup. Yeah. So instead of a syrup, it's a scent that you actually put in the top of the bottle. So when you drink the water, you get the scent of it. So you kind of get the same experience, but you're not actually consuming everything, anything. Oh, that's interesting. And so what they've kind of done a similar thing, right? They've said, we know that some people don't understand how to use this, don't get it. So we're going to make sure we educate people as much as possible when they receive their bottle and their first packs. We're going to give them basically an instruction manual on how to take your first sip because they know if they get that first sip right, then people are convinced and they're happy with it. But if they mess it up, then suddenly it's a, well, there's no point using this. I'll uh, yeah. I'll give that up. And that was something I did with a PC client recently. So we're talking you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand pounds worth of PC that people buy. You know, we don't want people to have issues with that. So we actually put a uh, QR code on a little postcard in with the PC, which says, I think it says, scan this first, or or read this first. And it has guides on how to set up the PC, how to maintain it. Uh, how to contact the company if they've got questions. And this has had a really good response. We've actually had five-star ratings that specifically mentioned how good that advice was from the QR yeah. code. That's so it's, yeah, it's, it's taking those steps to not just say, we've got the sale, that's job done, but to then say, right, what potential problems will someone have once they've made the purchase? How do we make sure that over the first 30 days, they're very happy? And if we get to that 30-day mark, they're likely to keep the product and and stick yes. with us. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you'd want to mention about what you've been doing at Alphapore? Maybe one quick thing is like, I when I bought it, it was a 3PL. So also one thing, when you buy a business, A, you get all the data beforehand, right? So you can see and try to, oh, I can optimize too. And so for example, they were using one 3PL in Arizona. And so I was able to get, okay, how much are they paying for this 3PL? How much are they paying for the shipping? So even before I bought the business, I actually got quotes from other 3PLs and shipping freight companies and found out that, oh, on day one, technically, I can actually, when I move uh, to another, another 3PL and another shipping freighter, I can actually cut 20 bucks per ramp of you know the cost yes. so that's 
there was a huge, you know, you know, margin increase basically, and you can, you know, do that with all the cost line items basically. Of like, oh, they're paying X for this. I think I can get it much uh, cheaper or better. Yeah, I mean that doesn't just apply to buying a business, does it? It's something you should probably do every year, right? You know, yeah, when yeah. either either when contract renewals are coming up or or just on an annual basis, go out, speak to some other companies, and see what what quotes you can get. Or obviously, ideally, you want to build relationships with your suppliers, right? So you want to work with them in the long time, long term, so you're not shifting. Yeah. So yeah, we do we do different. So we do well. We do it actually pretty similar. But so manufacturers. We don't try to squeeze them as much as possible because they also need to make a living too. And, you know, especially ones overseas. Vendors like Clavio, Shopify, Merchant Accounts, PayPal, we actually, every three to six months, we have calendars and then we go out and say, hey, you need to give us a better rate. Otherwise, we switch. Or, you know, we need to get a discount or we need to get it. But like you said, it's not something going over all these light items you should do that on a recurring basis at least you know at least no you know 12 months every year but we do it even more often because you'll be surprised how much you can you know get discounts for merchant account is a big one like you know braintree or like whatever you use for your credit cards because that's a big you know, if you can get it from 3% to 2%, yeah. it's a huge cost saving. It's it's free money. Shipping is another big line item, especially for us. You know, maybe moving from UPS to DHL or from DHL to FedEx or, you know, or also looking at, hey, maybe if I ship, we've done that with our PPATs where we actually found out like, oh, if we make, if we air vacuum the PPATs, we will save X amount of inches so our shipping costs will actually decrease with $2 per order if you do if we sell you know 100,000 orders a year for that's a $200,000 right yeah so well, i imagine you you can bring more of them over on the shipping container as well yeah exactly like you mentioned at the start so not only are you bring in more over for the same cost but you've then you've decreased the cost of shipping them out to the actual customer yes that really and then we do that exercise also on a regular basis of like always trying to think how can we what, how can we optimize you know the the product can we make it smaller can we more make more efficient can we you know that's what I've learned because my Alphapol was my first e-commerce business and I've l- really learned like in the beginning it was like yeah what is saving a dollar like what's a dollar right like that's not going to make or break yeah. the company I've learned the hard way. A dollar could a dollar difference in margin could make or break a company. It's it's because it's the you know the law of scale basically because it's not one dollar. It's one dollar times you know hundred thousand orders a year or two hundred thousand, yeah. and it's then one line item, and then you can go through all of them. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, well, I think that's a good place to to end on. I think. Yeah, um, but uh, just before we finish, is there anyone in the D two C marketing space that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? Oh, that's a very good question. Is there anybody in the DTC that I would have a lunch with? Wow. 
I think the guys from Manscaped are doing a really good job. Do you know Manscaped? Yeah, I think it's very impressive that what I've built. And I think they even do a spec or they're doing it or they've done it already, basically an IPO. Yeah, so yeah, I think Manscaped is a pretty interesting... Cool. And uh, final question, are there any... Uh, kind of marketing tools or apps that you'd recommend people use? It, it changes. To be honest, for us, we we don't use a lot of tools. We use this, the standard things like communicate, like you know, Shopify, Slack for communication. We tried Glue.io for reporting, but we stopped doing that as well. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of agencies and too many tools. Basically, most of marketing in house. Yeah. Cool. It's just because of nothing against agencies. I have friends that run agencies. And it's, I think, also enterprise value, basically. Like if you have it in-house, you know, when I want to sell the business this year, you know, there's just an, there's just something to say if we can like, hey, we have an in-house team, you know, that you cannot get anywhere else. You have to buy us, right? Acquire us. And then the team comes along with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you've got all the expertise in house, right? It's that next level up from what you did, right? It's yeah. you, you saw that you had an established business that you thought, okay, there's opportunity here. Now you're saying to someone else, well, if you want to buy this business, you're you're in a, a really good position because you've got a team of people who have been working on this for three yeah. years or whatever. Yeah, uh, they, they, eat, they know this. Yeah, they eat, live, breathe. You know, whatever the company is about. Versus with agencies, we use sometimes agencies for speed and scale, like, oh, we need 20 influencers, you know, in the next two weeks. It will be hard to do it in-house or it will cost too much time. We'll use an agency. But for the core expertise, we try to do as much in-house and just build a team. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's been uh, really great stuff. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, yeah, if it? anyone wants to reach out to you, find out a bit more about what you've been up to, what's the best way? You can, if you have questions, you can email me at ramon at vanmeer.com. That's my last name. And I'm not really often on social media, but I do have a Twitter account and that is at Ramon Van Meer. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. All right. Thank you. I think a really important takeaway from the episode is the importance of continuing to educate the customer even after their purchase. As Rama mentioned, you know, they had a bit of a problem with returns. Not a massive problem, but obviously the cost of paying for that return is, is pretty noticeable for such a big product. So it's really important to try and lower that as much as possible. In addition, obviously, you're paying to acquire that customer. They're spending money with you. If they then return the product, not only have you not got that revenue in, but you've still got that cost that you've got to absorb elsewhere. I remember doing some customer interviews for a client not too long ago, and we discovered that customers didn't actually know they were supposed to use this pillow differently, depending on whether they were a side or back sleeper. This was causing returns because they weren't seeing the benefit. So we started to educate these people after this purchase to to make sure they actually understood how to use the pillow and got the value from it, and we managed to decrease returns. With the increased cost of supply, increasing acquisition costs, uh, cost of returning products and various other costs being affected by inflation, it's super important to do whatever you can to reduce returns as, uh, and these costs as much as possible. If you'd like to speak with Ramon, you can find him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Grant Deccan joining me from Unstack to talk about landing pages and on-site personalization. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>